This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And I'm so fired up for today, Matt, because we have one of our favorite guests who comes to join us on the podcast, uh, Chief Economist for BCREA, Brendan Ogmanson. This is such a great episode. This is the second time uh, past guest fan favorite Brendan Ogmanson's been on the show. But man, both times, I feel like I walk away thinking that was a great conversation. There's demographic information, uh, the way he frames it in this right. episode, that I've never, I've never really thought about. And I don't think has ever come up on this podcast, which is incredible because we've been doing this it's been since like, 2016. It's almost like a blind spot. I feel like we've talked to everybody and anybody you can possibly talk to about Vancouver real estate and it's never come up. So super insightful stuff in this episode, not least... Brendan's projections for the rest of the fall and into 2022. Right. And we Surprising. should say he was on in January and man, did he nail the spring? He was bang on with his, his predictions last time he was on, which is why we wanted to bring him back. And, and of course, uh, you know, as long as he'll keep coming back, we're going to keep bringing him back for predictions. And uh, he, he's, he's just a great guy to talk to overall, but it's one of those conversations and there's, there's been guests that we've had on over the past five years. You know, Tom Davidoff comes to mind, Andre Pavlov, um, uh, a variety of different people, but that change, the, like add, add a, a stat or a thought that just becomes part of your dialogue when you're talking and thinking about why Vancouver real estate is the way it is. 
This is one of those conversations. That, that, that demographic point is exactly that. Yeah. 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 This is a very insightful conversation. But before we get to that, we actually brought in a good friend of the show, Pete Stoyakovich, uh, who's joining us today. Uh, partly because on a rather you are, somber note. No, well, you're you're are you are you our celebrity correspondent? Because I honestly, I you were you were really just in the podcast studio, so uh, we said put on a headset. But uh, yeah, I'm still a little bit pissed off. You guys woke me up. Take yeah. a nice little nap. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it is actually a somber note. We we're all we're all a little uh, gutted by the uh, uh, the death of uh, Norm Macdonald. Um, which was uh, which was just yesterday. Yesterday, yeah. Um, all of us being uh, uh, big fans of Norm, um, but yeah, we were we were talking about it earlier today. But uh, you have a favorite Norm Macdonald, uh, either appearance or joke, Pete? There's a bunch. Like there's a couple. There's one on YouTube. You'll find you know the the big mainstays are the moth joke on Conan. Right. Watched um, that last night. Yep. The the Courtney Thorne Smith segment also on Conan. Watched. I watched that last yeah. night. And all the stuff he does Chairman on Howard, the, the Bob Euchre uh, impressions he does on 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 uh, not Conan, pardon you me, on Howard Stern. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, but for me, it's it's a story that he tells about Rodney Dangerfield visiting SNL, and one one of the interns tells him he makes Norm makes the intern tell him an off color joke, and then uh, Rodney takes a beat and says. I tell you, kid, I'm not really one for jokes. <laughs> That's a pretty, pretty good danger field. <laughs> the guy most for jokes ever. <laughs> not yeah. really one for jokes. <laughs> <laughs> what, would, what would be What about your, you guys? Uh, yeah. yeah. What What's your favorite, man? I feel like uh, if you're, if you got uh, only a couple minutes, I'd watch his last Letterman appearance, which was the last, I think the last Letterman show. When he that's does, right. when he right. does a set, right, uh, with some really great jokes uh, about. Germany. I didn't watch that last night. But oh, I don't know, man, I don't know I don't if watch that. You guys are history gonna, buffs. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch that tonight. <laughs> and he, and he also, he's got such a deep humanity. I think, and it's, it's on, it's on display there. Like he, he tears up when he's talking about Dave Letterman at the end. But I would say the, the other thing to, to definitely listen to, the WTF, a Mark Maron's podcast interview from 2011 when he talks about well he talks about fear his fear of death but also going broke three times as a gambling addict yeah. and it's an amazing hour i just finished that on the way to work you know what's really apparent about norm i think more so than anybody else is it, it's really apparent and it comes across so clearly how sincere he is and how much he cares about uh, you know his peers like the bob saget roast i think yeah that was my favorite but i i actually i don't usually like those celebrity roasts uh, yeah, and i feel yeah. like the audience neither did norm the, well you know what's funny is the audience didn't uh the audience is just it's full of uh just it, it doesn't seem like his crowd but what was funny though is is that that actually is still like if you watch that today it it holds up it's uh is his it's the yeah roast to bob saget that and it's crazy cuz at the time it looks like he's bombing which he loved. He loved to bomb. Apparently, I mean, I didn't know him, but that's for what I gather from the interviews. You know? <laughs> and but he's he's loving it, and still to this day, like I remember when actually Adam, you showed me that years ago when it came out. We're like, this is this is next level, right? incredible. Yeah. yeah, like we still reference some of those jokes. Yeah, yeah, we do, we do always, always stealing other people's material <laughs> for the birds. This man's for the birds, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, RIP Norm, uh, we should say this week we are sponsored by Oakland Realty. That's right, Oakland Realty. This is our brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you're a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody in the industry just looking to make a change, 
head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, which is, which is reason enough, frankly, right. you right. get a huge incentive as well. Um, that's oakland.com slash join VRP 2020. Can I just jump in and not stealing jokes, paying homage. Paying homage. Carry on. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, without further ado, let's cut to this episode with Brendan Ogmanson. Uh, I love this conversation and you are not going to be disappointed. And uh, we will see you after the interview. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Brendan Ogmanson, Chief Economist of the British Columbia Real Estate Association. Association. Wow, there's too many S's in there. How you doing, Brendan? I'm doing great. How you guys doing? Yeah, great. Th- thanks for coming back on the show, Brendan. It's it's great to have you back. We should say past guest fan favorite. I think a lot of people are looking forward to hearing hearing from you this fall. Yeah. So, um, Brendan, a lot of our guests are going to be familiar with you, but for those that are not, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm the chief economist of the BC Real Estate Association. Uh, we provide all kinds of services to to realtors and to real estate boards. What I do in the economics department is, is a lot of you know, gathering stats, reporting stats for the province, uh, as well as forecasting. And then we kind of operate uh, kind of like a think tank, you know, producing research, trying to really quantitatively answer questions like, you know, what was the impact of the speculation tax or, you know, what's been driving home prices for the past 40 years? Uh, there's some examples of things we've put out in the past year. So anything. And then we also do a lot of speaking engagements too. That's, that's probably the most fun part of the job. When I used to be able to leave my home and go actually see people and, and uh, get to meet realtors all around the province. Right. Sounds like that's your favorite part, meeting realtors? No, that's, it. That's, that's been the best part of COVID, I bet. <laughs> yeah, not meeting not realtors. <laughs> so, so, Brandon, maybe to, to launch uh, the conversation here, how how's the market? Uh, you know, we, we're obviously not in the same place we were back in the spring where we had really kind of frenetic activity and Vancouver posted an all-time high in, you know, in terms of sales in, in April. You know, since then, things have on the sales side have trended kind of back towards pretty normal levels. So if you look at August, we were at about 3,000 sales in the RevGV area, which is a very historically normal level of sales. The real issues on the supply side where you know, listings are below 10,000 for for the Vancouver area, which is kind of a number that we would see normally in like December, January, and so we're seeing it in August. So like every other market in the province, uh, supply is a really, really big issue. New listings have been falling for about five straight months in Vancouver. Uh, and so no surprise when you have a pretty strong demand and not very much supply, we're still seeing very strong price growth. And, and things like condos are catching up too. Uh, it's a big part of the story in the, the second half of this year. What do you make of the the low inventory? Because it seems like, you know, early days of COVID, that made a lot of sense that people were just not comfortable with listing their houses. Now, I mean, I guess we're hitting kind of the fourth wave thing, but I, that doesn't strike me as one of the reasons that we're seeing such low inventory. What in your mind's driving that trend? I think there's sort of a temporary factors. I think the, you know, the pandemic and that uncertainty about the pandemic is still having some impact on, on listings, but we did see pretty strong new listings up until about April this year. And then they've steadily been declining and are, are, are pretty low as of, as of July and August. So part of that is, is the pandemic. Part of it's just a longer term structural problem. And some of that's demographics, some of it's zoning. 
when you have a lot of very expensive properties, uh, the way the new Baker is owned, they're not going to turn over very often. So we can't really build a lot more. We can expand the housing stock in, in, in a way that turns over on a regular basis. We're going to have lower listings. We're not getting completions of new stock quickly to market. That's going to constrain listings. And then there's the thing I've been looking into the past little while, just about demographics, where if you look at what the most common ages are in BC and, and Vancouver kind of you know maps really well to this, but the most common age in BC is, is 57. And the second most common age is 56. And then after that, it's a whole bunch of people in their mid-30s. So we have this, this real friction between you know people in their kind of 55 to 60 years old, they're probably in a home they're going to be in for the next decade, maybe, maybe longer. Not maybe you're you know, looking to list, and then a whole bunch of 30-year-olds that really need homes. So that causes this this kind of friction between one generation that's pretty comfortably housed and not looking to move necessarily, and then a lot of 30-year-olds who really need housing are having a really hard time finding. Fascinating. That that is really interesting. So just so I understand, this is this is for the province, but Vancouver it maps onto Vancouver. Vancouver? Very similar. Vancouver, I think, is a little bit, if I remember correctly, was maybe a little bit younger in parts. I think there's maybe more 30-year-olds, but you know, the same kind of thing applies. We have a lot of you know, listing kind of being constrained just by age. And you see a bunch of first-time homebuyers who don't have a home to sell getting into the market. And then we have a lot of kind of the baby boom generation who aren't selling because they're just in a part of their lives where that's that's not really you know part of the this part of that cycle. So Right. Um, it's a real issue on the listing side, and there's no policy lever for listings, right? Like we can expand the housing stock. That's a longer term solution that's difficult. Uh, but there's no way to like, you know, really incentivize people to list their homes. And usually price is a pretty good incentive. So normally new listings respond to high prices. That hasn't really been the case during the pandemic. You know, we're just not getting the type of listings activity you would normally see when prices jump, you know, in some areas, 25, 30%. Can you talk a little bit, you, you mentioned it when you were listing uh, the, the reasons at the beginning, but this idea of like expensive property and, and less turnover, can you kind of unpack that a bit? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of Vancouver is zoned for pretty expensive single family homes. If you had, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of Vancouver is kind of a luxury market or is priced into a luxury market over the years. And you know, $4 million homes don't sell as often as $500,000 apartments. So if a lot of the city is going to be zoned for really expensive housing, it's not going to turn over very often. So you know, it's going to constrain listings. You know, if in some counterfactual, we had, instead of you know $4 million mansions, we had a whole bunch of, of uh, townhouses and, and apartments, duplexes, something that's going to turn over a lot more often than the type of product that only really appeals to a very kind of small sliver of the population. Right. In thinking about this average age of 57 and kind of the boomer generation, presumably, I mean, with those kind of demographics and baby boomers living in healthier, longer lives, this wait for inventory, this wait for the, for the handover, I guess, <laughs> or for the transfer, we could be holding our breath for quite some time, I would well, imagine. I was just thinking, because I don't know when the average ages of somebody downsizing, but it, if, if 57 is the average, we're probably at least 13, 15 years out. From a lot of those people yeah. are wanting to move, we're in a in a demographic window over the next ten years where this is going to be. I mean, it, we're seeing it right now is a huge problem. It was exacerbated by the pandemic. Listings were already pretty low, and then they sort of experienced this negative supply shock through the pandemic and, and haven't recovered. So we still have the same underlying problem or same underlying issues due to demographics. But you, you're right. 
a lot of people in there, you know, aren't really downsizing that much either. I'm not, you know, there's the, there was this idea a long time ago or, you know, 10, 15 years ago that, you know, baby boomers would get to the retirement age and we'd have a flood of, of housing onto the market. And it just, I don't see that happening. I think people are settling in place. You kind of look at what happened in long-term care as well. I'm not sure a lot of seniors are, are seeing that as maybe a, an attractive option. Right. Uh, so I think you're going to see more aging in, in place and people just not listing their homes when they retire. And in many cases, we see uh, people buying a second home or a, you know, recreational property. So not only are baby boomers not listing, they're also in some cases buying houses in other places. And so you know, adding to kind of the issue there. And it, it becomes a real problem because those, you know, if you look at the, the third most common age in BC is 30. Uh, that's exactly the age where you expect people to be forming households for the first time, and it's going to be increasingly difficult for those households to to find a place to live. And it's also one of the reasons why we're seeing a huge amount of intergenerational wealth transfer because a lot of those 55 plus have a lot of money and they're passing it down to those 30 year olds because that's the only way they can kind of clear the down payment hurdle to get into the market. You know, we had Simon Bray on, CEO of REW on recently, and and one of the things that he said is from their analytics, one of the biggest search groups right now that kind of entered into the market during COVID, and it was kind of a, a bit of a steroid injection into like the millennials really, really looking for real estate. Is that kind of what you guys are seeing at BCREA? And is it starting because of the wealth? Do you see the wealth transfer as being part of that? And when you say millennials, just to be clear, like he, he was saying yeah. even younger, like young, young millennials or whatever the next generation uh, yeah, after uh, millennials is. What, whatever comes to yeah. 20, 24-year-olds, like really young people it seems, are. It seems to really vary by how you describe it. I, think I, I was born in 1979, which some people would uh, label millennial. I don't identify that way at all. I think I'm very hardcore Gen X. So, you know, Gen X just tends to get ignored in all these discussions, but... That's fine. Um, um, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's true. Like, I think we, we did see probably more first time home buyer activity than you would expect. I think a lot of, you know, what we saw in the pandemic, you know, was that a relocation demand. And if you're, you're, you're kind of a family in your 30s, you have you know, one or two children, you know, if you can work remotely from Chilliwack, then it's probably more affordable to find a single family home if you can work remotely from Kamloops, right? So, a lot of those markets saw a huge wave of, of that relocation demand, you know, driven by the pandemic, driven by the ability to, to remote work. And I think a lot of that is, you know, 30-year-olds who just are looking for a more affordable place to raise families. Just thinking, it's kind of incredible that we've been doing this show for five years now, week in, week out, and this magic 57 number has never like this is the first this first I'm hearing of it. This yeah. is kind of seems like such an intractable problem. I'm trying to formulate another question around it, but you can't fight demographics. They just are what they are. All you can do is 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 react. You have policy to react properly to those demographics, and what they're screaming is that we really need to build more supply. And yet, if you're a 57 year old in a single family home in Vancouver, I would guess that's pretty heavily heavily NIMBY territory, right? The not in my backyard folks. Yeah, we, we tend to see that people who have homes and who have significant assets tend to be the ones who don't want anything else built in their their neighborhoods. Right. Uh, that That's a pretty common problem. I mean, this isn't a Vancouver only issue. I mean, I was at a 
did, you know, uh, remotely at a, a conference of, of uh, Pacific Northwest economists. And I was hearing the exact same thing from economists in like Montana and Idaho. We're saying we're talking about NIMBYism and talking about, you know, people relocating to Seattle from Seattle to, to Montana and bringing their Seattle incomes to the small markets and driving up prices. So this is being repeated in every market across North America. Are these demographics... And I don't know, obviously you focus on British Columbia, but across Canada, like, is this the average age in Saskatchewan? Does I, this chart across the yeah, country in your, in your... I, I haven't, yeah, I haven't looked. I, I think BC tends to skew a little bit younger than some other provinces, I would guess, but I haven't, I haven't actually looked at it. It's, but it's true that the millennial generation is, is enormous. And they are all right now in the next five to 10 years really aging into their first time home buying or, or maybe move up buying years, depending on, on what, what age group they're in. You know, so it is, it is sort of a North America wide issue. There's a lot of young people that are, are getting into the market for the first time. You know, when I think about like the restrictive zoning, the land restraints in Vancouver, the lack of skilled labor, I mean, this seems catastrophic for young people trying to find housing, right? I mean, this seems like Vancouver, it seems daunting the idea of building our way out of this with all of the pressures in this region. It's it's certainly difficult, right? Like there's, there's over the past 10 years, we've tried a lot of different things to try and make housing affordable. I think there's been over a dozen different demand side targeting policies that haven't, you know, have worked maybe for temporary a temporary period, but if we haven't we haven't really done anything to address the underlying issue, which is is supply and especially completing. You know, we're building a lot. We're just not completing it very fast. And there was a whole period during the 2010s where we just were barely completing anything. Uh, and that's you know, you know, prices I like to say that are, are path dependent. So like, it doesn't take. It only takes like a period where you have like a, a conflation of, of things. So like, take like the 20. 15, 2016, 2017 period when prices really jumped and it you know, often gets blamed on one factor. People blame foreign investment and foreign capital and whatever. But, you know, we actually studied the, that the past 40 years of what's been driving home prices and, and decomposed it, you know, quantitatively into demand shocks, supply shocks, mortgage rate shocks, and kind of price expectation shocks. And that period was sort of a perfect storm where we had uh, listings not growing nearly as fast as they needed to to kind of keep prices uh, in balance. Completions were really low over that period, and that's one of the things that helped that kept new listings low. We had a pretty strong economy. We had, at that time, mortgage rates hit their all-time low. At that time, it was about 2.4%. And, and so there were a lot of different factors driving home prices during that, that period, but you know, we tend to focus on one, or one thing. But in general, over that, you know, if, we, if we're going to diagnose things over the past decade uh, from a policy standpoint, it's being all driven by one factor – uh, and we're kind of ignoring things we can actually control, like supply, or have some control over, then you know it's, we're going to make a lot of policy mistakes. Just to put a fine point on kind of the challenges, the varied challenges, uh, I was on a construction site the other day. It was a townhome development, like perfect kind of, I mean, still expensive in Vancouver, but but missing middle product, I would say. It was supposed yeah. to be done in January or February this past year the outside date, so the date where the developer can basically walk away from the project is September 30th. They're not going to be complete by September 30th. And, you know, there's all sorts of reasons that have been given, hydro, COVID, you know, COVID and hydro, all these things. And when I was on the site, a guy, like just a a regular 
worker on the site walked up to me. He's like, this guy can't find anybody to do this project. He's like desperate for labor and he can't find like there's nobody on site every time I'm here. And it's just kind of puts a fine point on, you know, all the policy, you know, but there's so many challenges (laughs) facing this market, (laughs) but that just kind of, you know, you hear about that all the time, but it was like, oh, this project's just sitting here like three quarters of the way built with nobody available to work on it. Yeah. And, and, you know, because there is a lot of construction activity going on. So there's a lot of demand for that labor. And then you see a bit of a boom in renovation spending as well, because people have been at home for a long time and are looking to, to upgrade, you know, deficiencies in their homes. So there's, there's a huge demand for, for trades. I mean, we just don't have enough of that, of that labor. It's really hard to kind of, you know, staff up to kind of that peak demand in a short period of time. You're going to get, um, you know, supply and labor shortages as a result. You know, one of the interesting, we had, we had Anne McAfee on the program. One of the interesting comments that she made is that, you know, we seem to be building in certain regions that are not amenity rich. And in thinking about kind of where we're building, are we really building the product that people are looking for in the areas that people want to live? And, and do you think about like, you know, in some of the areas we're building, say like the Valley, for example, is that where demand is based on what you're seeing? Like, are, are we, because I, I think about people looking for new construction in Vancouver. There's very few project launches every year, right? And it it's very, very hard for people that want to stay in the municipality of Vancouver, right? So are you thinking about like, does new product necessarily solve <laughs> solve the problem if it's in regions where, you know, people don't necessarily want to live? No yeah. offense to the Valley, by the way. No, 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 absolutely <laughs> just not. just an example. Yeah. Yeah, it was a very Vancouveristic kind of uh, <laughs> viewpoint. Um, why would anyone ever go over a bridge? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think it goes again back to a couple of demographics and the trends we've seen in the pandemic and kind of open questions. Like if you can work remotely and you're a young, uh, young family, maybe more attractive to, to live out in the valley or live in Chilliwack or live on the, on the island if you can find anything on the island. So it's in Vancouver, like if, they, if we could build but probably people want to live in and what developers would like to build in Vancouver, maybe it would be, you know, it'd still be really expensive because it's Vancouver. But I think a lot of it's just constrained by, by an inability to build what, what people actually want and what developers actually want to build. So you go to places where um, maybe that's a little bit easier and then the demand is really about what's affordable and what's available. So if you, if you want a townhouse, it's going to be a lot more expensive in Vancouver. It's going to be less expensive in Langley. And so you're going to see demand shift out to those areas. And then that's where, where developers kind of get their signals too. So, you know, it's, it's really going to depend, I think, a lot on what the post-pandemic work landscape looks like. You know, a lot of these markets have had all of this relocation demand and has pushed supply to all-time record lows and pushed prices up 30% year over year. It's going to be interesting to see if that demand is, is really kind of sticky or if, if people, you know, wake up in a post-pandemic world and all of a sudden their boss wants them back in the office five days a week and they work remotely. So right. I think that's kind of an open question and you know, get a, kind of a hybrid, but even that means you probably have to be in the office every once in a while and it's hard to you know, commute from Prince George or something. Yeah. And I, I should say, I wasn't, I wasn't targeting the Valley specifically, but I mean, it's just, you know, there's a lot of demand right now, especially with clients we've been working with over the last, you know, call it three to six months of people looking in say Vancouver, Burnaby, Coquitlam. And even if we have a lot of new projects coming in say, you know, Mission or Chilliwack or wherever, it's just not going to satisfy their specific needs. Right. right? I think the comments are made because of the people 
we where the areas we focus on, right? Right, exactly. It's like there's not any inventory here. Everyone's frustrated. And then you hear every new launch is like, oh man, that looks great. Yeah, out in wherever, you know? So exactly. Brendan, one thing that strikes me about what you do, and we talked about this a little bit last time you were on in terms of just forecasting, like you you're just talking about, you know, it depends on what the nature of work looks like moving forward and, and kind of how deep these scars run for, from COVID. And, and, you know, it, I guess I just have a question about like, do you factor in, and I guess you're an economist, but those kind of intangibles or unknowns, like the nature of work in the next three to five years, uh, the climate crisis, how are you factoring in those things? Or are you when it comes to forecasts? Yeah, I mean, it gets really, that gets really difficult. So, you know, most, there's sort of a, a principle of a parsimony when you're modeling things. You want to keep things simple. Uh, and, and a lot of things that we're talking about are really hard to quantify. So uh, that's what they're, they're kind of open questions like, you know, with climate change and wildfires in the Okanagan, what does that do to demand? You know, I talk to realtors in in the Okanagan uh, pretty often, and they you know, will say that they've had buyers who are, you know, are looking, but maybe kind of you know, second guessing how much money they want to spend on a lakefront property when it's going to be smoky all, all summer, right? So those those are issues that could affect demand. There's really hard to build into a forecasting model. And then things like the, you know, the future of, of remote work, that's really about, you know, the, the level of demand in some of these smaller markets and whether or not it's going to sustain. So the, the best you can do is, is make some educated guesses, but it, it's very difficult to really kind of build into any kind of formal model or forecast. Brendan, I, I kind of want to go back to the, you know, the super low inventory that we've had over July and August. Uh, one of the questions, and before we had the conversation of all the problems kind of in the region to catch up on inventory, one of the questions we had was, you know, when you have two months of kind of historic low uh, inventory, what does it actually take to catch up? Like, even if we have a huge influx of new listings in September, you know, can we catch up? Can we get back to a balanced or buyer's market, I guess? And and for me, it's 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 sounding like, you know, before we get to the predictions and everything else, but it sounds like it, it's going to take actually a lot for us to kind of get back to inventory levels that will will kind of balance out the market. But what is it going to take to catch up from these these past two months? It's going to take a long time we're really far away from balance. So if you, you know, we did some some work to even estimate this, but if you look at what's long-term, what's a long-term level of sales in Vancouver and what's sort of a, a sales to active listings ratio where we would see prices kind of growing in line with inflation, we would need to see, you know, in Vancouver, listings like active listings roughly double. So like a healthy level of listings for the greater Vancouver real estate board area He's like fifteen to eighteen thousand. We haven't been there in like a decade, and we're currently at about nine. So we're a really long way from getting back to balanced, even at normal levels of sales. Wow, it's even worse places like Vancouver Island or the Interior, where they're like sixty, seventy percent below normal levels of, of listings. So this is a province-wide issue, and we're we're really, really far away from being in a balanced market, let alone like a buyer's market where, we, where we'd see downward pressure on prices. You know, we are seeing prices kind of flatten out a little bit in Vancouver, you know, month over month, but it's not like prices are going to be you know, coming down substantially anytime soon. 
And do you see that, like, do you look at, and maybe this is a question that you can't answer, but in kind of thinking of the rest of the country, clearly there's a, it's a seller's market in, in most markets across the country, or it has been. Are inventory levels similar to ours, or are we a standout, or what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, in, in parts of Ontario especially, I think it's actually much worse. So uh, as bad as supply is here, I, I you know had a, a slide in the presentation a while ago looking at active listings uh, in BC, Alberta, Ontario, and Quebec, and, and they're all essentially the same profile. You know, the listings have absolutely fallen off a cliff in all those areas. And I think Ontario, uh, at one point in the spring, uh, had a level of active listings that was lower than BC. So for, for a province with a, a much larger population, actually had lower active listings than BC, which was pretty astonishing. And it, you know, if you look at what's happened in Ontario, especially in markets outside of the greater Toronto area, prices are rising in you know, 30%, 40%, what you would expect when you have a kind of a supply drought all across the province. So thinking about this low inventory and what it would take to kind of get to, to balance, maybe we can kind of transition to, to kind of your latest forecast. What happens this fall generally and uh, maybe this fall and, and into 2022? Yeah, so we're we're seeing uh, sales you know moderate back to to long run levels, which is kind of what we expected. We're on track for a record year in terms of sales to the province because the first half of this year was so strong. Vancouver is depending on how we finish the next three months, three four months, it is uh, probably going to set a record past the 2015 record, which was about forty three thousand one hundred and, and change. We're really close to to track. We're kind of tracking to to beat that record by three or four hundred sales because the first half of the year was so strong. So I, I think we're going to continue to see sales really level out at, at around historical norms and probably finish next year, 36,000, 38,000 sales or so. So a pretty strong year. And then on the pricing side, we have Vancouver prices only up about 2% next year. I think Fraser Valley up closer to 6 and 2% doesn't sound like a lot, especially given how poor the supply situation is. But we are factoring in that you know, more towards the end of next year, mortgage rates are going to rise a little bit. We're, you know, our models always assume that supply is going to, at some point, start to uh, to build up. Uh, and that helps to balance out prices a little bit. Plus, we've had such a run-up over the past year that we don't tend to see, you know, year after year of double-digit increases. So, uh, you know, we're expecting things to kind of balance out in 2022, but that's following two years of very strong price gains. Fantastic. So it sounds like the Fraser Valley's outperforming Vancouver for the next in the next year or two. It was two percent, six percent, as I understand. Can we talk a little bit about submarkets? Are you guys are you guys looking at kind of which submarkets are going to to perform very well and and what inventory types? Do you kind of dig down into that data, or is that is that kind of too deep in the minutia? Yeah, we don't look at submarkets a lot. The Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver has an economist, Keith Stewart, who's great. He kind of delves into all that stuff a lot closer than we do because we have to follow the whole rest of the province as well. But you know, by product type, you know, we certainly, you know, province wide, we we look at, at differences in product types. So like, you know, in Victoria right now, and you know, we're starting to see like the condo market really pick up. Uh, after really languishing uh, for all of all of the past about twelve months, in the last couple months, it's actually you know starting to show double digit increases in prices as 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 that market returns, which is what we ex- expected. You know, you're seeing rents in Vancouver now uh, up year over year like fourteen uh, percent in August. So 
I think clearly those markets are starting to come back. I wouldn't expect the single detached market to, you know, anywhere in Vancouver or, in the, or uh, maybe in the Fraser Valley to, to continue to see the types of gains we've seen over the past year. But I think you know, there's going to be a lot of demand for that product. But just with the run-ups we've seen, I, I just don't see how that can kind of continue year after year. So it's, you know, it, that'll be, I don't know if you guys have, have some insight on this. It seems like in greater Vancouver, that the single detached market kind of ran up in 2016, hit kind of a threshold on affordability. We had the foreign buyers tax. Things really went sideways for a few years. And now we're kind of bumping up again against that kind of 1.8, 1.9 million on a, on a single detached. Right. That seems like kind of like a, a real threshold that it's ha- it would have having a hard time breaking through kind of that $2 million on, a, on an average single attached. So is that what you guys see in, in your business? Is there like, you know, we hit this kind of ceiling and, and that, you know, affordability just kind of taps out? Not so much in Vancouver, I think, because maybe the expectation is has been, you know, on the west side, on the east side. Mm-hmm. Now we're up, but I, but I, I see what you're saying. Like across, like the the lower mainland in general. In thinking about what the difference was in the interest rate, you know, in 2015, 2016 versus now, it's almost like that's the, uh, you know, I think someone actually broke that down on our show where they were looking at the difference percentage wise of affordability and it. It well, yeah. kind of brought us to where we are now, right? So it 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 feels like we're probably there just with lower interest rates. Yeah, and even like the impact of of record low mortgage rates did fade after a few months because prices went up so much. It's kind of you know the whatever gains you made on 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 a lower right. uh, mortgage payment were kind of erased because prices went up so much. There was there was kind of a four month window where like affordability really improved because of low mortgage rates, but then. You know, as prices accelerated, a lot of that afford, you know, improved affordability started to erode. So even like where interest rates are, maybe having less of an effect uh, than they than they once were. Can we maybe talk a little bit about you know? It sounds like so. You know, obviously we've seen the run up in single family to to the end of 2016. The last year we've seen single family go kind of bananas across the whole region. You've kind of alluded to condos as kind of being where you see the the big growth moving forward, at least in the in the near term, as I understand. Can we talk about kind of opportunities in terms of in terms of where you see a lot of buyers focusing on on product over the next six to twelve months? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, a lot of this really is, is when I when I first started this job, Cameron Mirror, who was the chief economist before me, said, you know, the housing market's really not that complicated. And, you know, at, at the time I was like, well, of course it's complicated with all these factors, but like, it really does come down to supply and demand. So if we're kind of looking at, if you're looking at, you know, where prices are going to grow the most, it's kind of easy to, to see. It's places that have a really low supply and are going to have a lot of demand, right? And we have a lot of markets with extremely low demand. And we have those those demographic factors that, that, I, was, that I was talking about. If you want to look at where that demand has also has a lot of money, like where retirees are going, then, you know, I think when I was on the show last, you know, I mentioned, and that was... Was that January? Uh, I mentioned places like the Okanagan and the island because you know retirees were were relocating there, maybe accelerating their retirement plans, and there was no supply in those markets. And in those markets, we saw prices rise thirty percent over the past year. So, you know, it sometimes it's kind of that simple. Like where where is supply the worst, and where are we likely to see demand? So right now, because of that of the millennial cohort, like where are they going to go? Uh, and so where are they going to be putting pressure? On the housing stock right now, it's it's in small markets. So you know, Chilliwack, you know, the, anywhere in the Fraser Valley, the Fraser Valley is up twenty percent. Chilliwack's up twenty one percent. You know, areas that are close enough 
to commute if you needed to, but also might have more available family kind of missing middle type housing stock. That's in really short supply in those markets, and uh, and there's going to be a lot of demand for it. So uh, that's where I see kind of the most pressure is is maybe a little bit outside of Vancouver in that kind of missing middle type of of, uh, of housing, uh, which is, is just really short, short supply, and we're going to see a huge amount of demand for it because of demographics. And what about BC in general, Brendan? Yeah, um, I mean, you look at the, the traditional uh, retirement spot. So again. With retirees going to Vancouver Island, uh, Vancouver Island has historically low levels of inventory, so their prices are up twenty percent year over year. Uh, we're going to uh, people are going to keep aging; they're going to keep wanting to move to typical retirement communities, uh, Vancouver Island and the Okanagan being the being the big ones. The Okanagan has that bit of a, a risk, the you know wildfire uh, season and you know climate change meaning an increase in frequency. So maybe. Maybe that there's there's a real kind of risk in in uh, in investing there. So you know places like the island, you know, the, I, I was bullish on the north for a, a long time because right. they also have real supply constraints and there's a lot of economic activity due to to pipelines and and uh, and LNG in the north. So, but again, like that's it's pretty far, so it's not necessarily relocation demand. You're really kind of relocating your whole lifestyle uh, in that in that case. But uh, that is a really undersupplied market that you know tends to see you know price accelerations every once in a while. But it can also be pretty volatile because it follows a bit of a commodity cycle. So it, it's it's the market that's least correlated with the rest of BC. So it kind of does its own thing, and it can be a little volatile. But yeah, like you know. The Fraser Valley, I think for, for young families, the Bank, Bank of Ireland and the Okanagan for retirees. And those are the two real demographic forces that are, that are driving demand. And those are kind of the markets uh, where I see that demand hitting the hardest. What about, and I think we talked a little bit about it last, last time, but I'm always curious, you know, to think about, you know, where, where the opportunities are where people aren't currently you know, driving up prices dramatically. Obviously, downtown Vancouver's kind of one spot where we often talk about it. We often we're thinking about it. What are your thoughts on downtown and kind of the the surrounding areas right around False Creek there? Yeah, I think there was in the start of the pandemic, there was a lot of like early obituaries about the death of, of downtowns. And I, I didn't really ever buy into it because I think, you know, Downtowns are, are have been a hub of activity for for a pretty long time, and no reason why it's going to change now. You know, we have students coming back. Uh, you're you're starting to see real pressure on rents again because we don't have enough supply of rental stock. So, you know, I, I think that in general, downtown is always going to be an attractive place to be, especially for young people. It's also really expensive, but for kind of investors, you know, we're seeing you know, as long as we're not going to see a lot of uh, a huge expansion that rental stock, you know, rents are going to be under some pressure as they as they are now. So, you know, I would I would always kind of be you know enthusiastic about downtown, especially in a in a major metro city like Vancouver. Maybe as a final question, uh, Brendan, what are what are some of the biggest risks in your mind? Um, you know, facing the Vancouver and the BC markets in general over the next uh, few years. Sure. I mean, we always talk about risk as being kind of to the to the downside. I think one of the risks is really it's affordability from not, you know, a, a worsening affordability because we're not building enough housing. We don't have enough housing for the amount of demand that's out there. So that's that's always going to be a big risk for the for the Vancouver market. I don't see a risk of like things really correcting hard because you would need a real kind of fire sale amount of listings for that to happen. And we're we're so far from that point. And you know, we've had a pandemic. 
and a severe recession. And, and that didn't cause any kind of an increase in listings. So um, even with double digit unemployment at one point. So that kind of those sort of shocks, you know, we've, we've seen them, the Vancouver market brushed them off uh, in the past. So I'm more concerned about just affordability worsening uh, over the future. So I mean, people are concerned about inflation. Um, I'm kind of in the camp that thinks that the somewhat elevated amount of inflation we're seeing now is, is temporary. If it's not, for some reason, if, if most economists are wrong and we end up seeing kind of sustained 3 to 4% inflation, uh, you can imagine what a, uh, a response from Bank of Canada would look like. And that would mean, you know, 6 7% mortgage rates. If we had kind of 45 5% inflation sustained, that could do some real damage. I think, you know, the uh, if I was to, to you know, hold a lottery, like a draft lottery of, uh, of the, the most important factors in the housing market, I, I think, you know, interest rates would be would be the number one pick. The LeBron James or, or Michael Jordan, whichever, whichever uh, camp you're in, the goat of factors that affect the housing market. So um, we're in the MJ camp. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm Gen X. I'm solidly in the, <laughs> solidly in the MJ camp as well. Um, so that's that's a risk we'll talk about and get concerned about government debt and, and maybe bond market starting to worry about debt or worry about inflation. Uh, I'm not in that camp. I think rates are going to be low for for a long time. But you know that that's an outlier risk too. I mean, I, I think I said as a final question, but uh, I just realized we'd love your thoughts on the upcoming election. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm very apolitical. Um, I think I can talk about the, 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 the platforms. I mean, the two parties that have a most realistic chance of winning, the conservatives and, and the liberals both have very similar plans. They both want to ban foreign investors for, for two years. Uh, foreign investment in BC is about... 0.5% of, of transactions, or if you call it foreign involvement, so at least one party is, is a non-resident, it's about 1.5%, not a big deal. It's basically been zero for the past two years, and we've had record sales and record prices. So, you know, there's a lot of low information voters out there. So a lot of political parties take advantage of low information voters by promising, uh, you know, policies like banning foreign investment, because there's an idea that foreign investment is a big problem in the housing market. On the rest of the platforms, they're kind of at the margins, you know, most of the time trying to figure out how to get home, you know, first time home buyers into the market. So the liberals have a tax free savings account and they have changes to their, their incentive program. All that stuff's really kind of at the margin. And we have a lot of demand already. So it's probably, you know, pushing up, pushing and putting more pressure on, a, on an undersupplied uh, market. Is, is maybe not the best policy. And then um, they're, they're all making noise about incentives to increase supply, which which we certainly welcome. That's, that's a long-term solution. So as far as the housing market's concerned, you know, both both major parties are kind of promising the same things. And, you know, we'll uh, we'll see which one of them comes out ahead. Right. And, and at the end of the day, probably, you know, business as usual, if I understand yeah. what you're thinking. It, yeah, I, I never put a lot of, a lot of stock in, you know, we're, you know, BC is a small open economy. Canada is a small open economy. Uh, that means that we're really impacted by external factors a lot more than we are about, you know, who's running the government. Uh, they both have very similar plans to, to, uh, to balance the budget by 2030, which if you look at PBO you know, projections, that's going to happen anyway. So, you know, there, there's not a huge difference, uh, you know, uh, in terms of like economic plans between those two parties. Well, maybe we'll leave it there. We do have this lighthearted last segment, the five wire. I think you've participated in in the past. I think we might have shifted it 
Some new questions, uh, though. At least one new question, a Gen X, uh, a, a Gen X type question. It's going to be interesting to see the answer. Yeah. But uh, yeah, can you stick around well, for that? Gen X doesn't mean yeah. that. Gen X doesn't mean he listens to Gen X music, man. No, That's, I'm just uh, saying that we haven't had anyone say Nirvana yet. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> put it, put it, putting that out there. But I was going to say, yeah, with you know Matt's uh, Matt's still making playlists. That's how Gen X Matt is. He's uh, he's still watching <laughs> on, every on John Cusack movie uh, on rotate or repeat. Yeah, I may I must have made my my uh, now wife at least. 20 mixtapes uh, when we were... They worked. So. I was going to say, that's why they she's worked. your life. <laughs> your wife. That's right. They worked. They yeah. <laughs> so, the the, uh, the, the death of mixtape is one of the worst uh, parts about technology since you can't make mixtapes anymore. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. A, a Spotify playlist isn't really the same thing. No, no. And it's public, so it's embarrassing. Yeah, nothing uh, says... <laughs> 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 All right. So uh, first question, Brendan, is uh, what is your favorite bar or restaurant? Uh, so I think last time I, I said, uh, and I'm also you know, 41, so I don't, and with kids, I don't go to a lot of bars. Um, I think last time I, uh, I said Nightingale, which I would still say is probably my favorite restaurant in Vancouver. But I'd also add the, the place I miss the most from you know, working downtown every day is, is uh, La Taqueria, which is just excellent uh, uh, you know, street tacos, Mexican food. Uh, on on Hornby, I think they have a few locations, but it's great. We're we're right. We're actually right now right beside their uh, eighth and Yukon. Uh, Yukon. I was going to say, location. unfortunately, wow. we're very close, or fortunately, but yeah. depending on waistlines, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's almost lunchtime, guys. You know? <laughs> so the so the new question I was referencing here is is favorite band or song. Uh, so I'm a, a bit of a, a music nerd. So this is a question that I would I absolutely dread because how do you choose one? I could talk to the next 20 minutes, era by era, about what what <laughs> band music. So I'm not I'm not going to, I'm going to restrain myself and not do that. I think as an economist with this idea of revealed preference, so what you consume is probably the thing you like the most, what you can you know, spend most of your consumption on. Uh, so in that in those terms, I own like five Wilco T-shirts and I've seen them like nine times live so uh you know wilco started as an alt country band in the 90s kind of transitioned to, into an indie rock band in the 2000s now i think most people consider them uh, dad rock i think it's the pejorative yeah. but i've kind of grown <laughs> grown with them from the 90s to my my current uh my current age so i'll go with wilco this is one of those questions with music nerds where like you don't get to you know, accept the beatles and those sorts of things but and then i'll add to the stuff I've listened to the most recently, uh, I'm going to say uh, uh, Run the Jewels, especially Run the Jewels 4, their 2020 album, uh, and the British punk band Idols, who are absolutely oh, amazing, yeah. especially live. If you can see them live, it's incredible. Yeah, I got stuck on a YouTube Idols uh, run there for oh. a while. I kept, I'm just trying it's, to remember what that is. Oh. They, those guys There's, are terrifying. Oh. <laughs> They're so good. And the, their guitar player, who's often only in his underwear, is actually a dentist in London. Hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, so I wondered about that guy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine having him as your dentist. <laughs> That's a great one. Uh, awesome. Okay. Well, uh, what is one book that you'd recommend for our listeners? I think I remember last time it being Obama's book. Is, is that, that right? Does that no, sound? It was, it, it was, it was uh, Christopher Hitchens. But, oh, uh, right, right. I, you know, we, 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 uh, I've been spending a lot of time reading this summer and, uh, I read, I'll say two, uh, one is, uh, the, the price of peace, which is a kind of a biography 
of uh, of uh, of Keynes, which is, sounds super boring, like a 600-page biography of Keynes. It was fascinating. His life is so interesting. So, you know, he lived was a was a key kind of you know policy, you know, influential policy in the Great Depression, and World War II, and and the whole international monetary system. So it's absolutely fascinating. But he's he's um, also he's, a very eccentric guy, right? Like his oh, yeah. his personal oh, life was. Uh, it was very interesting personal life, um, you know, and, and ran with like a group of artists and, and poets like, you know, uh, Virginia Woolf and, and that uh, Bloomsbury uh, uh, circle. So it, it's really, really interesting. I'd say that. And then also Michael Lewis's last book, um, The Premonition, about the uh, the pandemic and the people sort of behind the scenes and the planning and managing the pandemic was uh, a response to the pandemic. It's, it's also really interesting. Nice. Fantastic. Uh, hopefully this has changed in the last six months. Uh, one piece of advice you would give your 18 year old self. Oh man. Uh, invest in, invest in Bitcoin. (laughs) We we haven't had that one yet. (laughs) Hilarious life lessons. I have a bit of a, like a a Pascal's wager thing with cryptocurrency where like, you know, don't, don't at me, uh, Bitcoin people, but I kind of feel like it's worthless, but also Maybe it's not. (laughs) (laughs) How's that for a hedge? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. I don't want any of the the laser eye people sending me emails. So just please. Matt's just setting up a ShakePay account here across the table. (laughs) I might might be a little late. (laughs) Well, I mean, it gets weird too with like the NFTs where like you just buy like a a pixelated cartoon and it's half a million dollars. So I, I don't know. Yeah. It's bizarre. Well, well, we felt late to Bitcoin when when it was five grand, right? When you were had to buy it from a, a Max convenience store, or the, or the waves downtown, the waves downtown. The waves we, thought, we thought we'd missed yeah, it. We'd yeah, we missed it, and yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we always feel like we're late to the party, but uh, yeah. well, anyways. Uh, last but not least, what is something that you have bought for under fifteen hundred dollars recently? So, not not crypto um, <laughs> that has changed your life. Oh, change my life. Well, or had a positive impact. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a high bar. Uh, you know, we bought um, at the start of the summer. Bought like a, a a twelve foot diameter by three feet deep little pool and put it in our yard. And I, uh, I, it, you know, on a summer when it was actually sunny this summer, and, uh, when it wasn't the heat dome, so it didn't feel like bathwater. Uh, just floating around like on a on an inflatable chair with a beer and, and reading uh, about Keynes's uh, eccentric uh, yeah. uh, uh, li- lifestyle. And that was, <laughs> that was like heaven every day. Like, you know, finish, finish work and just float around and, and read, I must've read a dozen books. So 12 by three. So it's like floating kind of, it's like a kid's pool. Almost. Yeah, it's like three and a half feet deep. Um, wow. It's, you know, it was, it was decent size. Like, you know, you can kind of float around in it. You know, it was, it was nice. Wow. Idols yeah. playing in the background. I've got a good. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, man, I want to come you, to your backyard. Yeah, you're kind of living the Any, dream. Anytime. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, maybe we'll leave it there, Brendan. But how can people find out about more about what you're up to? And uh, yeah, of course, read uh, read your amazing work for the BCREA, which we uh, which we read all the time. So. Yeah, uh, just go to our, our website at bcra.bc.ca and, and click on the economics tab. You can sign up to uh, to get all of our stuff in your inbox, and and uh, yeah, all of our all of our stuff goes there. And uh, hope uh, hope it's useful, especially to to realtors to help their clients and uh, just to stay ahead of uh, stay ahead of the trends. And super powerful videos, I'll say as well. 
<laughs> super powerful. <laughs> that is like, yeah, I, yeah, life changing personality across in those. <laughs> Uh, right on well thanks so much again Brendan for your time really uh, that was a great conversation as always and hopefully we can have you back soon you bet happy to come back anytime There you have it, folks, our discussion with Chief Economist over at the BCREA, Brandon Ogmanson. Really enjoyed that conversation with Brandon, Matt. It's always great having him on the show. Always great listening to him kind of unpack the market and his his stats, his thoughts. Huge takeaways. Yeah, you know what it is with, with Brandon, I think, that kind of separates him. I mean, there's so many frequent guests that everybody likes, and I think Brandon is now entered into the pantheon of the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. Uh, top guest, but all he does all day, much like us, except he's an economist, is sit around and think about real estate in British Columbia. Right. Like that is literally his job. It's a great job. And yeah, run numbers, look at statistics. Uh, and and it's just, it's an amazing conversation every time we get a chance to talk to Brendan. So, so glad he uh, takes the time to uh, speak with us. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the other, the other thing that the idols song was uh never fight a man with a perm you introduced me to that one so you know what's funny is that that's got to be one of the most polarizing bands uh imaginable right because like i think they're incredibly cool and unique and it's even cooler now that i know that i think he actually said i can't remember if he said on the interview but he did the guy who's uh yeah on keyboards uh is it it, i think i thought it was a lead singer was it no 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 uh it was it's the guy who is like always half naked he's like usually in his underwear and he's dancing around and you're like, man, this guy, uh, you know, you're thinking he's on LSD he's or something. Out of his yeah. Mind. yeah. And, uh, and meanwhile, he is a dentist, uh, which is kind of funny. And it's like, that's like, it's almost like his hobby uh, band, I guess. But whenever I put that on, uh, my wife cringes. She's like, this is the worst. Turn this off. Yeah. So yeah. it just, it's, it, it, and in your wife too, because I think I've put it on at your place. Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. But I yeah. do think, you know, Brendan, just thinking about his, uh, his attempt to be part of, uh, Generation X. Yeah. Check. Check, uh, yeah. Born in 1979. Well, also Wilco, like, yeah, I, mean, it, I feel that like, doesn't just like, he's like his a, description of what he likes and kind of his, his positioning of himself in the world, I feel like could be you or me. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. It's, it's familiar. It's familiar. <laughs> it's Everything familiar. he said, I was like, yeah, I've, I do that. That's exactly, that's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> Preaching Except, to the choir. Uh, John Maynard Keynes uh, biographies. I don't know if, uh, if yeah. that's my uh, preferred I can't handle reading uh, in that's, August, but yeah. hey, he's a smart guy. Yeah, absolutely. But what else do we got before we cut for the day, Matt? What else do we have? We have Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate related live. If you're on the live wire, you probably saw Melrose uh, VIP access to yes. the project Melrose that went out earlier this week. The live wire is our weekly newsletter. There's no reason to be not be on the live wire. We send out stats, VIP access to residential and commercial projects, and all sorts of interesting real estate related information. Like I said, there's absolutely no cost, and there's no reason you don't want to be on this list. We also have tried and true private client services. And Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free at your fingertips. 
It is the best way to search for real estate in Vancouver. And I was talking actually to a great client of ours today and, and explaining that you can do like really, really hyper-specific searches with this tool. So you'll be notified. So if there's like a favorite street that you have in Vancouver or in any of the municipalities, this is something that we can set it up. We can set it up as specific as a street. Like the 200 can, block of The 200 Napier. block of Napier, for example. Yeah, absolutely. We can set that up for you. Or a specific building. Or the 2200 block. I guess the 200 block probably. Yeah. I don't know if that actually exists. I think exists. you're going 2200 block. But anyways, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is, wherever it is, we can map it out if for it you. If it exists, we can get it. Yeah, absolutely. And so you can get in touch uh, and we can set that up for you. Uh, just go to our our website and sign up for private client services. VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Also, check out the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. This is Corey Wright's podcast. He's almost 20 episodes deep. Ongoing great guests. He just had the president of Strand on the show, Adam. You were actually involved in that conversation. Yeah, that's a, and it was a, it was a fantastic episode. Um, I'm really uh, excited about what Corey's doing with the podcast. It's nice to join him on, on, uh, on, on occasional episode. I think I've done the last two. Um, you were on the two prior. So it's kind of like, we're just a, we're a bit of a rotating door on that podcast. But one thing that's amazing is the direction is different than our show enough yeah. that uh, I think it's super complimentary. And uh, it's something that I'm proud to be a part of. Absolutely. If you want to talk about that, private client services or anything real estate related, really, or Norm McDonald, to be honest, uh, 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We'll have a great week, guys. And uh, yeah, we were back next week with another fantastic episode, the fall market. And we need some inventory, but it's, uh, it's the buyers are coming back. Uh, listings are coming on heating and, up. uh, heating it's up. heating up. I feel like we're, we're being pulled back in a slingshot right now is what it feels like. So enjoy the weekend guys. <laughs> Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, 
Drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs> 